0: But uh, I think I heard th- heard about Dream Theater in an unconventional way. Oh yes, uh, the year was 2000, maybe 2001, probably 2000. Picture it. Picture it. The year 2000. <laughs> in the year 2000. <laughs> and I started my anime obsession in about sophomore junior of high school. Okay. And Dragon Ball Z was Ooh. the rage. I think it still is the rage with the weebs. Is it? I'm pretty sure. I am pretty sure I the kids know. are into it still. I never got into the, the Dragon, Dragon Ball Z. That's fine. So, the Dragon Ball Z. The Dragon Ball Z. Here's the thing. They didn't like in America to use the Japanese soundtrack. They didn't like to do it a lot. They still don't like to do it with Dragon Ball Z, though. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really weird. And for the movies that were coming out, there was the special one, The History of Trunks, that if you know the character Trunks, who is Vegeta and Bulma's son, he comes back from the future to warn everybody about the androids, but they don't really go into his story in the show. They made a movie about it okay. called The History of Trunks. And half of that soundtrack is just Dream Theater songs. <laughs> so I learned about Dream Theater by Dragon Ball Z. Was it the actual Dream Theater songs or did they redo them? Oh, it was Dream Theater. They oh, got really? that license
1: shit. Nice. Hell yeah. Because was... you know what? Dream Theater is made up of a bunch of nerds. Oh. So I bet they were
0: fucking thrilled. They were chuffed as puffs to be like, oh, <laughs> you want us in the Dragon Ball Z movie? Yeah, we want to be in the Dragon Ball okay. Z movie. It was mostly the album, was it Metamorphosis 2? Or something? Metropolis, Metropolis 2. Metropolis 2. I, it starts with a I have questions about that, but I'm sure we'll get into it. Yes, we will. But yeah. So Dragon Ball Z, uh, thank you for teaching me about <laughs> Dream Theater and having me put like a good chunk of their songs on my winamp back in high school when uh... I would Mess around on my computer, on my parents' computer, and download have, songs on LimeWire. To
1: have a Dream Theater skin on your Winamp. Oh, yeah. You were
0: winning your Winamp oh, if yeah, you had that. I had Dream Theater. I had some Dragon Ball Z, some Sweet Sailor Moon skins. Oh, I was, I was really whipping the llama's ass. Welcome <laughs> to Rock Candy why was that their tagline it makes no win amp we have we
1: have questions we, we need actually answers.
0: discovered this once but we were drunk and i don't remember the answer yeah i think mike explained it to us and we were drunk and we were it's drunk. fine and we're we'll probably get it explained to us again yeah. we're still drunk we're also your weekly podcast <laughs> bringing you sweet treats from the world of music and this week we got a big old fun one a long one yeah. exciting one but also you're maggie I am Maggie. And I'm Ashley. And you are Ashley. <laughs> and we got a long one for you. <laughs> <laughs> dick jokes. We also do dick jokes, guys. Guys, we're really... Multi-talented. Multi-talented here. We're available for parties. <laughs> we're very broke. Yeah, Please hire us for your parties. Yeah. Yeah. Depending but, uh, on what kind of parties they are. Not kids' parties. Oh I For was, sure. I was thinking other ones, too. But yeah, yeah, definitely not kids' parties.
1: Oh, yeah, not those other parties, either. We don't do that. <laughs> Sorry,
0: sorry, sorry. You just have a regular party. We'll we'll be there. We're hilarious. <laughs> I mean, why else are you listening right now? You're not listening anymore, are you? <laughs> but yes. So this week we have a big in. I think.
1: Yeah, it could have. We we should have made it a two parter, but I'm not gonna make it a two parter. You're gonna sit here and listen to this shit. <laughs> yeah, or I mean, like for you can take time. a
0: break if you need
1: to. Yeah, we will take a break. I'm sure. Oh yeah, I At have some no point, doubt. Um, but yeah, we're talking about Dream Theater. Yes.
0: The providers of the Dragon Ball Z soundtrack history of drugs. We're just going to talk about Dream Theater and Dragon Ball Z, guys. Guys, I'm bringing it back to the year 2000. Picture it. <laughs> Picture it. Troy, year 2000. Jinko jeans. Jelly bracelets. <laughs> Spike collars. Y2K did not explode the world. <laughs> we're still
1: here. Still got to get through high school. Yeah. What you going to do? Watch Dragon Ball Z. And listen
0: to Dream Theater. Wow, I was a nerd. It's oh, okay. I still am a nerd. We're
1: all nerds here. It's a big old pool of nerds here. Oh, I'm excited. It's fine. It's
0: fine. Is it yeah. just another big nerdy prog rock band? Yes. Huh. Every prog rock band <laughs> is a nerdy prog ro- prod, prod, prod prod rock nerd band. Nerd. <laughs>
1: Yes, but yeah, they were big fucking nerds, and it's adorable. But anyway, I'm going to talk about them today. But I guess we should talk about the beer first. Yes, because the beer is the reason why we're talking about them. Oh man, and the beers are good. Yeah, considering how many beers that have been made for bands that we've had so far, this is a solid number two. Solid number two. Solid number. (laughs) Not a not a liquidy number two. It's not shit. It's a solid shit.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, it's it's a, it's a nice, quick, and easy number two. Yeah,
1: because obviously the Mega Death Beer is number one. Oh yeah, it's Unibrew. It's fucking delicious. But this is made by Barrier, and it's the official Dream Theater Pilsner. Yeah, and it's uh,
0: I was I was a little dubious at first. I was like, oh, it's a Pilsner. I don't know. Yeah,
1: but Barrier is legit. It is. They're a legit brewery, and they're. They're pretty good and they did a good fucking job. We were dubious. We thought it was going to be an old man beer. So I was going to be entry night all yeah. over again. And I, I do not want to go into that black, dark
0: night. No. No. Uh, not quietly. Certainly not quietly. Definitely kicking and screaming. Yeah. So good job, Barrier. If you guys, st- I, this came out over the summer. So I don't know how likely you are to see it now. When I went to the Dream Theater show a few
1: weeks ago, there was plenty of it there. So <laughs> They just carry it around in the back of their I'm bus. I'm pretty sure that they have a van full of Dream Theater beer that they give
0: to the venues. Yo, that's just somebody's job. That could drive be my around. job. That could be our job. What are we doing? But, but we we're need... playing. <laughs> Dear Dream Theater, can we drive your van? <laughs> your beer van? Your beer van. Please and thank you.
1: But I suppose we should also, before we get started on this shit, cite our sources.
0: Cite your source, bitch. Because we
1: have sources this time.
0: (laughs) We usually have sources. (laughs) But
1: like legit, like authorized sources. That's
0: true. Some, Some of the books that I've had to read, I'm like, this is not necessarily authorized by the artist, but it's the best I can find.
1: It's the most my Audible's gonna give me. Yeah. But I actually went and I bought this book.
0: It's got that fresh book. It's so to it.
1: nice. There's no creases. It's like, it's a book, guys. It's shiny. It's a book. And it's called Lifting Shadows, the Authorized <gasps> Biography of Dream Theater oh. by Rich Wilson. I guess I should also cite uh, the score so far, the documentary that they, the band, put out oh. in like 2005 or six or something.
0: Only a few years after they did the soundtrack for the history of trucks.
1: <laughs> That's my timeline. They didn't, they sadly didn't mention it. in either the, they wouldn't mention in that. Either the book or the the documentary. So How, weird.
0: I wonder why. It's so weird. I don't
1: know. <laughs> it's like they're ashamed of it or something.
0: Guys, come on. Don't be ashamed of it. <laughs> Just be proud. Anyway, oh. let's
1: get into this bullshit.
0: It's going to be long. So, buckle up, buckaroos, because we got a story to tell you. Indeed. This is going to be the Prague song of episodes for us.
1: This episode will be a Dream Theater song, don't you worry. Oh,
0: yeah, well, it will feel as long as one. Indeed.
1: So Dream Theater's story begins in 1985 in good old state of Chassamousets.
0: Chassamousets.
1: This is where drummer Mike Portnoy, guitarist John Petrucci, and bassist John Myung attended the Berklee College of Music. Oh, fancy. Pinkies up. Here they made the fateful decision to start a band, which they named Majesty. But let's go back a little bit. John and John actually grew up together in Kings Park, Long Island. Long Island. These days, Petrucci is considered one of the absolute best progressive metal artists, and I absolutely agree with that. Okay. And it's no wonder, considering he first picked up the instrument at age six. Oh, shit. In true jealous sibling fashion, he decided to start playing because his sister was allowed to stay up late practicing the organ, and he wanted to stay up late, too.
0: (sighs) That's... That's smart, though. Yeah, he knew how to play the game. Damn. Good for you, kid. Six-year-old
1: Petrucci couldn't hack it, though. Oh, He gave up on the guitar when his plan backfired and had to take daytime lessons. Aww. Eventually, he went back to it, diving headfirst into hard rock and metal, especially Rush and other progressive rock bands. Fuck yes. You're going to find out that these guys are the biggest Rush nerds you have ever met. In your, oh. or ever even heard of in your life because you haven't met him
0: you don't say
1: yeah oh yeah <laughs> Mayung shared in his friend's love of progressive rock but the bass wasn't his first instrument he started playing violin at age 5 and continued with that for 10 years then he discovered a love for playing bass at age 15 after a friend asked him to join a local band Mayung and Petrucci would jam together in bands throughout high school and music became a passion for them And after graduating, they decided to continue with their musical education, and both of them rolled in Berklee College of Music in Boston.
0: If you're going to go, go hard. Go for the gold, man. Whole
1: hog, man. Yeah. Whole hog that shit.
0: Don't fuck around.
1: Two weeks into their freshman year, they were jamming together in a rehearsal room when they heard drumming coming from down the hall. They peeked through the door and saw Mike Portnoy going ham on a Rush song. They didn't introduce themselves right away. They introduced themselves to Portnoy la- later in the cafeteria. Like, was it
0: like, hold on, was it like true freaks and geeks style? Oh, yeah. Like Jason Segel's can... character just like living it up.
1: Yep. And just right. like nonstop jabbering about Rush and how great they are.
0: I would have dated him. Oh, 100%. That's, that's the that's the one you date, geeks and freaks. Freaks and geeks. <laughs>
1: Yep. Yeah, no, Nick was definitely the date one, Yeah. the dateable one. This was a fortuitous event. Of all the people at Berkeley to befriend in the second week of school, these guys found another Rush fan from Long Island. Oh, Mike's that's some kismet. Right? Mike was raised in Long Beach, New York, but eventually moved to California with his father, a rock and roll radio DJ. Nice. Being in the radio business, Mike's father had an amazing record collection, which had a huge impact on young Mike's musical tastes. He picked up the drums after his parents gave him a set on his 11th birthday. Entirely self-taught, Mike practiced by playing along with Rush and Led
0: Zeppelin and the like. Yeah, that's that's how you learn, especially back then.
1: Yeah. So like Those
0: good, good bands. When
1: I was young, in the house I grew up in, our neighbor, he liked to play along to old 50s records. Hmm. But... He played him really loud Hmm. like we couldn't like hear ourselves or our television over the sound of our neighbor drumming at night. And to make everything worse, he was really bad at it.
0: Oh, no. But like they're 50 songs, buddy.
1: It's, it's not hard.
0: beat to keep. It's not hard. Nobody's really breaking the mold back then. Yeah,
1: but he would just fucking lose his mind and just hit anything he oh, put no. his eyes on.
0: He might have not have actually been practicing. He might have just been hitting shit.
1: Yeah, he just wanted to hit shit. And he would record it and then play it back to himself in oh, his no. car at full what? fucking blast. <laughs> I just want to hear how bad I am so I get
0: angry and I hit him
1: harder later. Like... I, and ever since then, I have had the worst luck with neighbors. I have just had the loudest, most obnoxious neighbors everywhere I've lived. Oh. Everywhere.
0: Yeah, your neighbors aren't great.
1: No, they never have been.
0: No. Nope. I, I lived a lot of
1: places, guys.
0: Like a lot. Like a lot. You're not fucking around here.
1: Anyway, Mike gained some notoriety in high school playing in various cover bands. Two bands he played in, Rising Power and Inner Sanctum, both released independent albums while he was a part of them. High school wasn't a cakewalk for Mike, though, and in 1984, his mother died tragically in a plane crash off the coast of Atlantic City. Oh, my goodness. That's awful. Yeah. It was a year later that Mike found himself attending Berklee College of Music on a scholarship, making friends with two weirdo Rush fans in the school's cafeteria. Aww. They immediately went to work putting a band together, utilizing Berkeley's resources to the fullest, practicing in their rehearsal rooms from 6 p.m. to midnight 5 days a week, leaving them weekend no weekends open for some hard partying
0: to to rush songs, right? To rush. Yeah. All right, I want to go to these parties.
1: We got a boombox, we got Rush, and we got a got a 30 rack of Coors Light. Let's go boys, All right? Ready for this fucking party. And they just sit in their dorm room and drink.
0: Oh, but Aww. I'd still be here for it. I'd,
1: I'd still hang with them.
0: They made a grab bong. They have they had like a really sweet grab bong situation going. I don't know what that is. It's like this real makeshift bong that you can make when you're in college and you can't get your hands on a real bong. So you just okay. You have a Brita and you have like a water bottle, and you have a salt and pepper shaker, and you basically like put a hole in the water bottle and you fill it with ice and then like you fill up the Brita with water and then you dunk it in there and then you pull it out and like you, in the meantime, you're lighting the weed at the top of the bottle that you replace with the salt and pepper cap. Nope. This makes absolutely no, no sense No, it totally saying. works.
1: I can't even picture how you're
0: explaining this. It gives it a nice like cleaner, better feel. Because of the but- Brita filter? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You just smoke it out of a Brita filter. The point is, it doesn't matter anymore because just everybody vapes. Yeah, just, yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter.
1: Anyway, they weren't really playing the music other kids at the college were there for. Here they are playing rock and metal like Iron Maiden and Metallica while the kid next door is just trying to learn the French horn. Oh, <laughs> nerd! Nerd! but they didn't give a shit and they were really good at what they were playing and it became apparent that Mike was the creative brains Petrucci was the heart and Mayung was the silent driving force however all of them had exceptional music talent and amazing hair oh that i showed you them hair. pictures that hair oh my
0: god i want to run my hands through those hairs there was so
1: much hair in that so band so much
0: hair <laughs> and it wasn't just
1: like it wasn't just straight like oh, regular no. hair Back in the 80s, they all had that, like, split down the middle, super feathered, oh thick my God. black hair.
0: It was perfectly feathered, too.
1: Yeah. I'm like, did they do that themselves?
0: I do don't know. They do that for them?
1: Can you imagine them all just cutting each other's hair in their dorm room? That's so fucking cute. That's,
0: I don't think that's what they were doing, but I'm going to imagine that is what they were doing.
1: I'm going with that
0: narrative. I like that's it. That's fine.
1: And boys with that much talent and that much hair needed a pretty epic name for their band. The first name they came up with was Majesty, which yeah. of which of course was inspired by Rush. In fact, they were camping out in line to buy Rush tickets when they oh came up God. with the name. Nerds! While listening to Rush's song, Bastille Day, one of them mentioned that the song was so majestic. And they thought Majesty oh would fit perfectly God. as a band name.
0: Stop. It's like... Uh, Guys, I think Moving Pictures would be a great band name. (laughs) (laughs) Or Power
1: Windows, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) To round out their lineup, they recruited Petrucci's old friend from back home, Kevin Moore, on keyboards, but had a harder time finding the right vocalist. They auditioned people at their college, but no one really fit right, so they went with another of Petrucci's high school friends, Chris Collins, to fill the spot. so
0: none of them were the vocalists. No. They were just practicing the instrument solely. Yes.
1: Huh. They had, like, the vocals in mind.
0: Right. But, like, usually people these people guys... are chomping at the bit to be the vocalist.
1: Yeah, no. They would write the melodies. They, they wrote the lyrics. Even when they got their permanent um, vocalist, he didn't really write all that much. They wrote it. Wow. It was mostly uh, Portnoy and Petrucci that were writing most of it.
0: All right. Good job, boys.
1: But just jamming at Berkeley wasn't going to cut it for these guys. They didn't want to just play heavy metal covers. They wanted to write their own 10-minute long songs with complicated time signatures and epic
0: solos and all that shit. Just I like mean, Rush, you know. That makes Who sense. Who doesn't? Yes. <laughs> I would like to go do that now. But
1: they couldn't dedicate themselves to writing music and doing college coursework and working part-time all at the same time. So, Petrucci, Myung, and Mike decided to drop out of Berkeley, much to the annoyance of their parents. Oh, yeah. And Kevin abandoned his studies at SUNY Fredonia to join the band full time. Whose
0: parents were like, It's a SUNY school, fine, whatever.
1: You weren't getting a real education anyway. (laughs) Dig on SUNY. He was the one making the bongs. Oh, yeah, he was. (laughs) They realized pretty quickly that things weren't working out with Chris Collins, who left the band after only a couple of gigs. While searching for a new vocalist, they wrote their pants off, making most of the music that would end up on their debut album. Eventually, they hired Charlie Dominici, who seemed to have stepped into a pool that was a bit too deep for him. Oh! At 35, he was a veteran rocker, but he wasn't used to singing this kind of music. Wait,
0: he was 35? They were all still in college. They
1: were like... 1920. So there's
0: a significant age difference. 15, 16 years. Wow. It's
1: like us right now joining a band with a 19 year old. No.
0: Yeah, no. I can't even hang out with a 23 year old. So, yeah. yeah. Hard pass. Hard pass. Yeah. Wait, is this this just some washed up singer dude? He's like, these kids are going to make me feel young, man. Kind of. Like, that was the impression that I got. Did he live in a camper? Down by the river? I'm just wondering. (laughs) You might not have that information. I'm just wondering. I
1: don't know. I know he did have a girlfriend. So there's that.
0: Yeah, but a lot of people have girlfriends (laughs) that arguably shouldn't. That that doesn't give you
1: any clout here. That doesn't make it any better. No. Anyway. (laughs) So he was more used to slower classic rock and pop ballads he wasn't a bad singer, but the band wanted a Bruce Dickinson. Oh. But what they got was a lackluster Getty Lee. Oh. Yeah. Like he wasn't a bad singer. He just he couldn't hit them high notes.
0: Oh, so like he wanted to be Getty Lee.
1: No, he wanted to be Bruce Dickinson.
0: Okay. But I mean, like, Getty Lee can hit some pretty high notes.
1: Yeah, that's why he, that's why Charlie Dominici is a lackluster. Oh, alright. Getty right, Lee. All right
0: be Bruce Dickinson, couldn't quite make it, generic. Falls short of Getty Lee. The equate version of Getty Lee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Generic version. Got it, got it. Same thing, but like, not really at all. Same ingredients,
1: different presentation. Yes. Yeah. They began playing shows in the New York City area as much as they could. Mike also took a Lars Ulrichian approach to getting the majesty name out, Hmm. making as many connections as he could and sending their demo tape to anyone that showed a slight interest. And chewing gum the entire time. Yeah.
0: Right? Yeah, exactly. His mouth opened real obnoxiously. That's,
1: That's how you have to chew gum. Yeah. That's the only way to chew gum.
0: Yep. I'm glad we know that. Thanks, Lars, for clarifying that for us. If we learned anything from Lars, it's how to chew gum
1: obnoxiously. That tactic worked, because in 1988, a rep from Mechanic Records heard their demo and crashed a rehearsal, signing them to a record deal on the spot. Shit. Shortly after signing, the band was forced to change their name when a Las Vegas band also named Majesty threatened legal action.
0: And where are you now, Majesty? I don't know. Where are you now? (laughs) Not
1: not hanging with Dream Theater, that's for sure. Not
0: doing the soundtrack for the Dragon Ball (laughs) Z movies, are you? Now I want to look your loss.
1: <laughs> They went through a bunch of silly names before finally settling on Dream Theater. It was suggested by Mike's father, who also suggested some other really ridiculous names, like Asparagus Piss and what? my favorite, <laughs> Rancid Nipple.
0: <laughs> no, I'm here for Asparagus Piss. Is it because your urine smells really weird after you eat asparagus? Yeah. I guess. <laughs> I don't Dad is so weird. <laughs> what, Mike? You gotta do something about your dad. Can you tell your dad to stop coming to our rehearsals, man? I'm. If I get one more fucking suggestion for like <laughs> eggplant ball sack, I'm just gonna lose it. I'm just gonna lose it. Your dad's just too much.
1: Oh, he was on that emoji game before he anybody was. else was. He was nipple. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Woof. he
0: he actually came up with the name that stuck. I'm <laughs> sorry. He went from asparagus <laughs> piss to rancid nipple to what about dream theater? Well, what about dream theater? What the fuck? Where, who, what kind of non sequitur ass brain chemistry does he have? I don't know. He's Mike Portnoy's father.
1: I can only imagine what went on in that brain. I don't want to know. <laughs> I don't either. But anyway, Mike's dad lifted the name from a movie theater in Monterey, California, and it stuck. Okay. With the backing of Mechanic Records, the band went into the studio to record their first album, When Dream and Day Unite, in 1989. The album debuted with little fanfare, but this was the first time we see the famous Majesty symbol on their uh, album cover, which is the band's logo that was created right before their name change. Oh. So they created it when they were so majesty, but then they kept it. Huh. Because there's the M in it. Yeah. Well, the emblem, or it is based on an emblem used by Mary, Queen of Scots. Oh. And it is three Greek letters, Phi, Mu, and Lambda, put together as one. I don't know why. I don't know why, but... Yeah, that's what it is. Years later, fans realized that all the letters in Charlie's last name of Dominici are conveniently represented in the logo because he is the one that reworked it for their album cover. Hmm. Interesting. Interestante. Yeah. Hmm. While they basically expected a parade with the release of the album, what they got was the exact opposite. Oh. The label didn't promote the record at all. And the band didn't even get to tour to support it. Their quote-unquote promotional tour was five shows around New York City and that was it.
0: Uh, Oh. Yeah. Mechanic Records really
1: fucked them over.
0: Yeah, they did. I mean,
1: are we surprised? Mm, No. Mm, No. But those few shows were telling for the band's future. They realized Charlie just wasn't cutting it and fired him after the fourth show. Now they were right back in the same situation as before, without a singer and unable to find one with the range and charisma they needed.
0: With the charisma, uniqueness,
1: nerve, and talent. The charisma. You so got the charisma. They
0: use a logo designed by a guy who's not even in the band anymore.
1: He didn't design it. He just reworked it to from the it. Mary Queen of Scots symbol and basically put his name in it.
0: <laughs> this is some Nexium bullshit. It is. Do you imagine like they're all just sitting there and then they just look at it one day like, oh my God. And then he's like, my real
1: name is Keith Rainieri. You're all in a cult. <laughs> now let me stick you with this hot poker. Fuck you, Keith Rainieri.
0: I <laughs> hope you're getting sticked with pokers.
1: I hope so too. Don't drop the soap. Don't drop the soap, baby. <laughs> This was a pretty tumultuous and trying time for them. They were having zero success finding a vocalist, and at the same time, they were fighting to get out of their contract with Mechanic, which they eventually had to buy themselves out of. Like you do. Like you do. For two years, they auditioned over 200 potential lead singers. Holy shit! Some would join the band, only to be kicked out very shortly after, including one guy named Steve Stone- who was fired after one terrible performance. He basically did a bad impression of Bruce Dickinson on stage, frantically running around the whole stage and yelling, Scream for me, Long Beach, at the audience, even though they were playing in Bayshore. Oh my god! He also blew out his voice during the second song.
0: So everybody just wanted to be Bruce Bruce. Yes,
1: everybody wants to be Bruce Bruce.
0: I don't blame them. I want to be Bruce Bruce. Don't we all? I mean, he's Kinda. living the life. He is living the life. Shout out to Bruce Bruce.
1: <laughs> but also adopt me? Okay. Yeah, yeah, adopt me.
0: Oh, can you be my cool grandpa? Cool gramps. Cool gramps. Yeah. Brand new grandpa.
1: <laughs> he is my brand new grandpa. Cool gramps. Yo, cool gramps. Cool gramps. Brand new grandpa. <laughs> hey, Bruce booze. booze. <laughs> Finally, in January 1991, the band received a demo tape from Kevin James LeBrie, or as Mike calls him... Kevin James LaCheese.
0: <laughs> it's like how I call him Shia the Beef. Yeah. Shia the Beef and James the cheese, cheese <laughs> should
1: get together. Oh. And...
0: Oh, oh my God. They'd make a delicious dinner this... party. Oh, it would be so
1: good. Oh, man. Anyway, <laughs> Kevin James LaBrie, a musician from Penetanguishene, Ontario, Canada. I think that's how you say it. Hey, I Canadian
0: friends, let us know how to say that. It's...
1: P-E-N-E-T-A-N-G-U-I-S-H-E-N-E. Penetanguishine, I think. I don't
0: know. Oh my god, this is not a good medium to express my face right now. Yeah. But what?
1: Yeah. But anyway, at the time he was fronting the glam metal band Winter Rose, and if that... If that name sounds familiar, that's probably because Kevin James Labrie replaced Sebastian Bach,
0: who left Winter
1: Rose to join Madam X and then Skid Row. Wow. Yeah. Look at that. Look at that. Wait, Sebastian Bach's Canadian? Uh, Maybe. I don't know. I know he was in Winter Rose, but I don't. I, I did not go that deep into Sebastian Bach's <laughs> Wikipedia page while I was doing
0: research. I bet he is Canadian.
1: Maybe. He's a super nice guy, so I wouldn't doubt it.
0: Yeah, that checks. Hair metal guy that's super nice. He's Canadian.
1: Yeah, he's Canadian. Canadian. These guys were blown away by his vocals and sent him material to learn, and shortly after flew him to New York for an audition... There was a cute anecdote in the book about him trying to listen to the song the band sent to him. His CD player wasn't working, so he went to like Circuit City or some other store like that, pretending he was interested in buying some grandiose stereo system, but that he wanted to hear how it sounded first. And the employee was all, let me find a CD to play. But Labrie goes, oh, I have one right here. And whips it out, <laughs> whips out the Dreams oh Theater God. CD. Blasts that one song and goes, sounds great. Thanks. Bye. That's fucking smart. <laughs> so he just needed to hear the one song. And he's like, all right, I'm just going to do that. Oh,
0: my God. That's really fucking smart. He bamboozled Circuit City. Good for you, though. They're not around anymore. What are they going to do? Get mad about it? I mean, I don't even know if Circuit City was in Canada at the time,
1: but still. He bamboozled him. He's the reason Circuit City isn't here anymore. Thank you, James Labrie. Hmm, James. Jimmy.
0: Capitalism. Yeah.
1: (laughs) After meeting the band in New York and playing with them for a few days, it was basically a done deal that he was in the band. He had the voice, he had the look, and he wasn't an asshole, and he respected the fact that they wanted a fairly hands-off singer,
0: so he was hired immediately. Oh my god, that's like a dream gig for a singer. We just need you to show off how talented you are. You're probably going to get most of the credit because you're going to be the face that everybody sees and the voice that everyone hears. But we want all, like, to do all the hard work. Okay. Sure. Yup. Sure.
1: I'm here for that. You mean you guys are going to go into the studio for a year and a half and I only have to be here for two weeks to lay down my vocals? Got it. Sure. I will be the most hands-off singer you've ever met. Tell me what you want me to do. Yup. He also did a smart thing by promptly dropping his first name to avoid confusion with keyboardist Kevin Moore and officially became James Labrie. Ooh. But the two Johns didn't do that. Yeah. That's why I'm referring to them as Petrucci and Mayung. Yeah. Because John and John, you're going to get so confused. Yeah, I, I'm
0: not, I'm not going to know who's who. Yeah. Hey, stop
1: naming your kids John. Too There's many p- Johns. Too
0: many Johns.
1: With James now in the lineup, they finished up recording their next album, Images and Words, which was released by Atco Records in 1992. The first single, Another Day, didn't catch on, but the song Pull Me Under very much did, even with virtually no promotion by the label. Oh, yeah. All of a sudden, Dream Theater's popularity took off. The band that couldn't get a gig outside of New York City finally embarked on a massive worldwide tour. Selling out theaters and attracting masses of new fans, especially
0: in Japan. It's always especially in Japan. Japan loves metal. They do. They are ride or die for metal. And they
1: I, they like get way into it before America even does when they're American metal bands. Yep. It's crazy. And they treat yeah. them like absolute fucking rock stars.
0: Yeah. Treat my gods like, oh my god, I love you.
1: Yeah. But as they went back into the studio to record their next album, the pressure was on. Now you guys are famous.
0: You hit it. You did it. Now do it again. Do it again.
1: Awake was released on October 4th, 1994, but fans weren't as feverish over it as they were with images and words. Not helping was the fact that grunge was in its heyday, so oh, prog yeah. metal wasn't really on anyone's radar. Bye. Yeah. yeah,
0: We'll see you guys again in like 10 years.
1: But bye for now. The recording went smoothly, but just before the album was released, Kevin Moore announced he was leaving the band, just as James Labrie dropped his first name.
0: You son of
1: a bitch, Kevin! Make a guy change his fucking name and then you just... He He knew he
0: was leaving too. He did know he was leaving. son of a bitch. He had
1: been unhappy for a long time.
0: Well, you didn't have to let a guy change his fucking name (laughs) for your sake.
1: As the token shy guy of the group, Kevin just wasn't into all this fame hullabaloo. He'd been gradually fading into the background as the band got bigger, so he decided to gracefully bow out before the train got rolling again.
0: That's fair. I mean... Don't fucking hang on till you burn out and then, like, lose your shit and, I don't know, get addicted to heroin or something.
1: <laughs> or seek other means of gratification and
0: yeah, just like,
1: get into a lot of trouble and yeah, bring just, the band down, too.
0: He do
1: could have gone full rock star, but, but he, he didn't, didn't.
0: And that's respectable. But, like, don't force a dude to change his name. <laughs> That
1: left the band in a compromising position, and they scrambled to find a new keyboardist. They originally hired Jordan Rudess based on the fact that he was Keyboardist Magazine's best new artist. Ooh. But he declined in order to tour with the Dixie Dregs. Oh. Instead, the band hired Derek Sherinian, a veteran touring keyboardist that had gigs with Kiss and Alice Cooper on his resume. In fact, oh. he makes a very quick appearance in Wayne's World as part of Alice Cooper's entourage. Oh, really? Yeah. Aww. It's really
0: cute. me walk <laughs> It's
1: Algonquin for The Goodland. The Goodland. Interestingly, Derek was also an alumnus of Berklee College of Music, Oh, though he was a year ahead of Mike and Petrucci and therefore never really knew them. And Gene Simmons once described Derek as the love child of Paul Stanley and Cher, and he had a flair for the flamboyant, at least more so than his bandmates. I'm curious if he means that. Was he really their love child? I don't think so. Yeah, because I think Cher can do better. And I think he was too old by then. I don't Paul know. Paul Stanley? No, Derek Sherinian. Oh. I was like
0: <laughs> I think she's old. But also
1: maybe Paul Stanley. Also Cher. Yeah.
0: Either well, way, none of this yeah. works.
1: Either way, it's not true. It was just some dumb remark Gene Simmons made. Wait, what? Gene Simmons made a dumb remark. No. I
0: that's no. no. That never happens.
1: Everything he says is true and nice and polite and politically correct. Yeah. No. Everything.
0: He wouldn't make something up. Never. No. Fuck Gene Simmons. (laughs) Anyway, Derek
1: was fond of pranks and being silly. And sometimes he got the other members of Dream Theater in on it. Derek, Mike, and Petrucci would sometimes swap instruments and pretend they were in a band called Nightmare Cinema. Or.
0: (laughs) I get it. Yeah, you get it? I get it. You get it? Dream Theater? I get Nightmare Cinema. Cinema. You get it? (laughs) I have fucking (laughs) nerves. Hey, let's, have, let's be- have like Bizarro Band we'll call ourselves Nightmare Cinema. <laughs> <laughs> nobody you will know, know what's going on, man. Nerds. <laughs> or they would come out as
1: Nikki Lemons and the Migraine Brothers dressed in yellow feather boas with lava lamps around his keyboards and what? shit. I don't know. That actually sounds kind of fun, though. And they would do like dumb covers and shit.
0: All right. You know what? That sounds kind of delightful. It is. I would. I would pay to see that. I would. Or I would just want to be a fly on the wall for that bullshit. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Despite the jolly fun times, their first tour with Derek in early 1995 proved to be a trying one. Right before embarking, James got food poisoning and blew out his vocal cords from dry heaving so hard. Oh, no. Yeah. Don't eat the pork in Cuba, kids. You get the food poisoning. Oh, no. It then took him 46 hours to get to their gig in Tokyo then a 7.2 Ugh. earthquake struck Japan while they were there.
0: Oh gosh.
1: All right, that's a bit much. They pushed through the bullshit and their dedicated fans started an online petition to get East West Records formerly at Co to let Dream Theater record their song A Change of Seasons. Mm. This song was originally written in 1989 for Images and Words but was left off the album because of its astonishing 17-minute runtime. But it was what? Yeah. But it was a live favorite and the fans wanted it recorded. I'm sorry. It's a live favorite? Yes. They would play it live and people fucking loved it. For seventeen minutes. Yeah. It's really good. Okay. Just give it a chance. Okay. I'm sorry,
0: I rescind. <laughs>
1: Giving it a chance. Anyway, the petition worked and the band recorded a new 23-minute version. That Oh, my God. Are you shitting me? <laughs> that became the Change of Seasons EP. There were more than just that one song on there, though. Jesus Although that Christ. one song could be the EP all in itself. Yeah, this is this is OK. We're talking about Dream Theater. Have you heard of them? Have you heard of this? I, I, 23 minutes is so many minutes. <laughs> so many minutes of your life dedicated to one song. It has acts. It's good. It's good, though. Anyway, let's take a commercial break so that you can, like, figure this
0: out. I can digest in your brain. this. Yeah. Oh, sorry, we're going to take a 23-minute commercial break so I can listen <laughs> to the song. We'll be right back.
1: And we're back. Welcome back. Mm, let's continue this story, shall we? Nerds. <laughs> this fucking
0: Liz, nerd, this nerd saga. Show, this nerdy
1: shit show. Saga of nerds. Anyway. 23 minutes.
0: <laughs> 23 minutes of nerd. 5,023 <laughs> minutes. 23 minutes. Is That's that? That's from Rent. It's that Seasons of Love song, but just rewrite it to all be about dream theater songs. Yeah. No, I don't want to do that. 5,000, 600 minutes. Oh, they're just talking about dream theater songs. Oh, cool. got it. That's what rents about. It's not about AIDS. Yeah. It's about dream theater songs.
1: <laughs> and how unbearably long they are. Yeah. Yeah, That's that's what Rent's about, guys. It's not a social <laughs> commentary about AIDS. That doesn't hold up today, by the way. Yeah, it doesn't at all. But yet, but yet, it's still being performed. I guess here we are. You know what? Rent really dates itself. Ooh, yeah. It unfortunately, re- really dates itself.
0: I mean, you know, the guys are still playing. Like half the cast is still playing themselves on Broadway. It's fine. Oh boy. Oh
1: boy. They really date themselves. Yep. All right. All well, right. T- <laughs> talk about stuck in the nineties.
0: <laughs> Do you guys remember the nineties? Yeah. 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 Picture I- it. The year two thousand. <laughs> All right. Anyway. PT Cruisers. Oh, no. (laughs) Flashbacks.
1: (laughs) Second Wayne's World reference of the podcast. I'm here for it. They continued writing for their next album, Falling Into Infinity. But this was a really weird time for the band. The success of Pull Me Under and the relatively disappointing Awake caused the label to put added pressure on them for a successful follow-up. Personnel changes at East West threw a wrench in the things. East West wasn't as cool with Dream Theater's progressive metal sound as Atco was. So East West sent in Kevin Shirley and Desmond Child to polish their sound and make them more mainstream and accessible. All right,
0: guys, we're really going to need you to cut these song- songs down. Can we compromise it six minutes? <laughs> Just six minutes? No. Well, apparently you guys are the Axl Rose of prog
1: rock. Yep. Yeah. Now... You know how Dream Theater sounds. You've listened to their music. We've been talking about it. Desmond Child is a rock hit maker. His writing credits include Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer, You Give Love a Bad Name, and Bad Medicine. Holy shit. So like,
0: nope, still don't like any of them.
1: Aerosmith's Dude Looks Like a Lady, Angel, What It Takes, and Crazy. Crazy. I Was Made for Loving You by Kiss, and Live in La Vida Loca by Ricky Martin.
0: Oh, go for you, boy. Varying yeah. it up a little bit. But also, not exactly what Dream Theater is. None of those are what Dream Theater None is. None of them were right. I don't- nope. No. 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 I'm going to go with no. Like, the closest you could probably get is, like, didn't Aerosmith take three of their their songs and make them do, like, a trilogy for their music videos?
1: Wasn't yeah, one of them was in crazy. One of them?
0: Yeah. Uh, crazy, crying, and. Something else. And all of them, that was when Liv Tyler was being sexy. And you're like, but that's your daughter. She was
1: only in the crazy video. Alicia oh. Silverstone was the one that was
0: in all yes, three. Yes, that's it. Okay.
1: triptych of dumb that was those fucking videos. But the point I was
0: trying to make is that's kind of like a concept, right? And like. Prague really likes their concepts Ooh, you're trying I think you're I stretching. should get an award for this you you use a fucking I've got some you're yoga s- mastery you're up in this you stretch Armstrong
1: bitch. over there <laughs> trying real hard to connect these things oh, oh wait oh the goo just came out of my lips oh no. Oh, oh no you'll never no. stretch again
0: oh. You can never put two completely unrelated topics together ever, ever again. This is what happens when you do that is you just stretch Armstrong and all the goo comes out of the limbs. You know,
1: you've gone too far when the goo comes out.
0: Oh, I stretched too far. No. (sighs) Anyway. Yes. They brought this guy in to write for Dream Theater, which makes no fucking sense to me. No, I'm not. I... I guess if you really want them to have that hit, right? Right. And this guy has shown time and time again to make that hit, they probably imagine, well, he'll come in and work with them and he'll make that hit. Yeah. And then the goo went (laughs) everywhere. But then the goo starts showing. No! (laughs)
1: And... The band went along with it because they just wanted to make an album and they tried just about anything the label suggested. Petrucci, for his part, was excited about working with people outside of his musical wheelhouse. The rest of the band, not so much, and it caused a bit of a rift within the band. They wrote 140 minutes of material for Falling Into Infinity, but the label refused to let them release it on a double album. (laughs) You don't say. Because double albums usually are not a good idea. No. Especially when you're fairly new to a large audience.
0: Well, especially in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah. don't do that. They pared the music down to a single CD of radio-friendly songs. To add insult to their injury, the album was a disappointment and none of the songs became the huge hit everyone wanted. So they kind of just... Made a record they didn't like and didn't want to make, and they didn't even reap any benefits from it. Oh, Mike Portnoy was so upset by the entire
0: experience that he told
1: the band he wanted to quit.
0: He Mike, was like, No, it's fine. Your dad came up with this name. You can't leave. You can't abandon the formerly rancid nipple dream theater, formerly rancid asparagus piss. <laughs>
1: He was angry with Petrucci for being so swayed by Kevin Shirley and Desmond Child, and communication breakdowns were rampant. Not helping things was the fact that Mike was a raging alcoholic at the time.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. No, that's not... It's That no, doesn't help anything. No.
1: It's not helping you. It's not helping me. No. It's not helping anyone. No. His hard partying was something he used to keep under control, delegating it to after show hours only. But as the pressure came down on the band that it's five o'clock somewhere hour got earlier and earlier, it also turned him into a real big dick that was triggered real easily. Tensions came to a head in Finland in June 1998 over a fucking McDonald's hamburger. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even kidding.
0: Oh, I'm here for this.
1: They just played a festival gig. The entire band was dead tired and they had a three hour drive to their hotel. But Mike was drunk and wanted a burger. That's fair. But they blew past McDonald's in a beeline for the hotel. Oh, no. Mike lost his shit on everyone, screaming about how he pays their wages so they need to do what he says. <gasps> and at that moment, Mike decided to quit.
0: Me, me, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. So I need to be here. I'll pay your wages. You buy me a burger. <laughs> I'll buy my own burger, but let's stop there. <laughs> oh my, just give me a ride. I'm going to go to McDonald's. <laughs> I'm going to get to Mickey D's. Oh, my
1: God. I feel like he's going to somehow hear this and, like, come beat me up. But
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. I actually I really like, like you, Mike Portnoy. But but I also fine. feel like you have, to, you have to be able to look at you at your worst time and be like, that was me at my worst. Yes. fucked up a little bit. Oh, and
1: he fucking knows it.
0: Yeah, I'm sure he could hear this and be like, "All right, you can you can have a little fun at the fact okay. that I was a bit unkempt at the moment. He was a bit much. I was a little unhinged a about bit. my Mickey D's. <laughs> I mean, I'm, loving I'm just really it. passionate about my Mickey D's. I don't want the Hamburglar having it all for himself,
1: and that's understandable. I just really wanted a Big Mac. It's fair. Anyway. His decision didn't last long. He stayed in the band, realizing the blame for falling into Infinity was eventually put squarely on the label.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, they really put him in a fucking corner for that. Yeah,
1: they really fucked him over. They had no choice.
0: And honestly, good on them for... Being kind of good sports about it and saying, like, all right, this isn't really what we want to do, but we're going to do it. We're right. going to try to be enthusiastic. We're going to try it
1: because this is what the label wants us to do. And, yeah. you know, we
0: do want another hit. That was really great. but Right. And yeah. I'm sure they had their loyal fan base at that point. And maybe it wasn't exactly what the label wanted, but...
1: Oh, it wasn't what the fans wanted either. They were mad. No, 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 no. I they mean, were mad.
0: Before this album came out, they probably had a loyal enough fan oh, base yeah, where yeah, they yeah. could just keep afloat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't have to do... They re- reduce themselves to these tactics. right? Yeah.
1: But because of this, Mike put his foot down with East West and told them to stay the fuck out of the band's recording process. Go, go you, Mike. And the label acquiesced and from then on gave the band the creative freedom they
0: wanted. Also gave them all the Big Macs they wanted.
1: <laughs> all You get all
0: the Big Macs. You better believe McDonald's is in that rider. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. All dem hamburgers. Those are my hamburgers. Give them to me. 1999 saw even more lineup changes after the band decided things weren't working out with Derek Sherinian. Oh, shit. Reading about this keyboardist situation was almost like reading about someone emotionally cheating on their partner. <gasps> oh, no. Ooh. Ooh, Ooh I'm so here for it. The band was with Derek, but then they got close with this other keyboardist <laughs> and realized they were in love with him. But they what? didn't want to hurt Derek's feelings, okay. but they kind of had a boner for this other keyboardist for a while. Okay, but like and it then was they really should just awkward. be
0: honest with Derek. They should just be honest. And they like, were. They were. Oh, okay. Don't just keep like texting this other keyboardist in the and middle like, of the night, like conversing behind, behind Derek's the... back. Yeah, don't do that. Don't That's do that. wrong. That's just wrong. That's emotional upfront. cheating. It, don't do and that. And they
1: were emotionally cheating.
0: Well, the keyboardist. Poor Derek, though. Now I feel kind of bad for him. That's awful. <laughs> he was fine. Don't worry about okay. it. Okay. He was
1: fine. It's fine. Well, the keyboardist they had a heart on for was none other than Jordan Rudess, whom they unsuccessfully courted after Kevin Moore left. He was keyboardist magazine's best new talent.
0: Oh, okay. They still <laughs> Best they, New Talent you know Jordan Rudess. So what you're saying it was an old flame that they never quite got over. Yeah. Mm. Kept going back to it. They needed more. Mm. More of that more of those long <laughs> ivories. You know lingering feelings.
1: Mm. They finally snagged him, waved goodbye to Derek, and immediately went back into the studio. Here's here's a cheeseburger for your troubles, Derek. (laughs) Metropolis Part 2, Scenes from a Memory, was released on October twenty second, 1999 to massive critical and fan acclaim.
0: I have a question. Where's Part 1?
1: Hold on to that thought.
0: I'm gonna. I've been
1: holding on to it all day. You've been holding it all day? All day. You should get that checked out. That's not good.
0: You're just going to start having asparagus pee after that.
1: (laughs) This is how you get asparagus piss. I mean, without eating asparagus. Yeah. This album is often referred to as Dream Theater's masterpiece and an archetypal example of the progressive metal genre. It was also Dream Theater's first conceptual album Mm. and i say it that way because that's the way james labrie kept saying it at the show i went to a few weeks ago and it makes it sound
0: dirty it does we we made sure we got conceptual from the songs before we wrote them yeah (laughs) you need need
1: conceptual it's it's like it's like he's
0: saying it's consensual and it's like
1: I have to have consent to in order to listen to this album and it's fucking weird.
0: Yeah. No, that's fair. I do remember you telling this story and it still makes me laugh. Yeah. Conceptual. Conceptual.
1: Now you may be asking yourself, part two, where's, where's part, part one?
0: one? <laughs> but no, where's part one? I've been holding
1: out of this all day. Well, it's Part 2 is actually a sequel to the song Metropolis Part 1, The Miracle and the Sleeper, which was on Images and Words. Okay.
0: So So, I'm going to be honest, too. This is the only album I actually really know because this (laughs) came out when I was into Dream Theater. Because this
1: is the Dragon Ball Z album. Yeah.
0: But I I was into this one. This and Pull Me Under. Yeah. the song Pull Me
1: Under. But Part 1 was on the same album that Pull Me Under was on.
0: No, I just liked Pull Me Under. I didn't like the actual (laughs) album. You're basically anybody else that has ever heard of Dream Theater. (laughs) Who who
1: are we talking about? (laughs) Who's this? Nightmare Cinema? I don't know who that is. Conceptual? I don't know her. (laughs) Okay, so yeah. Part one was on images and words. And Petrucci originally added part one to the song as a joke since they never intended on making a sequel. But here we are.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I guess we better make that sequel we thought about.
1: The overall storyline on this album goes like this. Okay, I'm really curious because I have my theories. It's
0: juicy. Oh, no. Okay, so it is probably what my theory is.
1: A guy named Nicholas is doing past-life regression therapy. He learns that in a past life, he was a woman named Victoria that lived during the 1920s and was murdered under mysterious circumstances. She was in a relationship with a guy named Julian, but Julian's hard drinking, drugging, and gambling drove her into the arms of his brother, Edward.
0: I thought there was some brother love there, some brother-wife swap in there, because... Is not... that what Dragon
1: Ball Z's about? Yes. Oh.
0: No. Oh. <laughs> One of the songs, fuck, Home? Uh-huh. I think it's Home, because that's like 12 minutes, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's definitely about, like, I'm going to steal my brother's girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's That was that was like, it's about stealing your brother's girl. That's what this whole album's about, right? <laughs> yeah. Basically, yeah. So wait, so, it's through your, through her eyes, like, about seeing her memories and shit? Pretty much, yes. Oh, because that didn't really make sense to me.
1: Yeah, like, because he's doing the past life regression. So he's seeing all of this through Victoria's oh, eyes.
0: Oh, yeah. that's all right. Now I want to go yeah. back and listen to but it, But anyway, actually. that's
1: not the end of the story. Oh, I know it's not. <laughs> so Nicholas assumes that Victoria and Edward were murdered by Julian in a jealous rage after discovering the affair. But it turns out that Edward killed Victoria after she tried reconciling with Julian.
0: The therapist then... She's just emotionally cheating at this point.
1: They're all emotionally
0: cheating. Dream Theater's all about the emotional cheating. Yeah.
1: The therapist then wakes Nicholas from his hypnosis, but he's not really awake. The therapist is actually the reincarnated Edward, and he kills Nicholas, who is actually Victoria. Wait, what? And the cycle is again completed. God damn it! That would piss me off. It pisses me off. Like, <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, it's, it's a bit convoluted. But for all intents and purposes, it works. And the fans ate it up. Oh, yeah. No, I
0: mean, and the, actually, the music's pretty solid on this album. It's
1: fucking amazing. This is a
0: really solid album. Yes. Even if the songs are 13 fucking minutes long. But like, it's they only just, home. Home is the only like, one that's like really long. They just
1: wanted, they just had so much, they just had so much of a load to blow on you that they had to like make it that long. You know, it's like
0: when you hold it for like two weeks, man, and like you get that shot. Yeah, you it was take like it.
1: The whole album is just like tantric sex, and then they finally get to blow their load in the thirteen-minute-long yeah. song.
0: You know, quite frankly, yeah, that is exactly what this is. Yeah,
1: this is all it's just so Sting's fault. Fuck you, Sting! <laughs> but yeah, this album blew the doors open for Dream Theater and solidified them as the definitive progressive metal band.
0: And then Funimation was like, they got a hold of this album. They're like, you know, this would go really well in the history of Trunk soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> this song about regressive memories
1: therapy. I mean, it makes sense. This is a really... this This album was just... Asking for somebody to do some kind of animation with it.
0: Oh, this... Yeah, but, like, I wish they made, like, a cool story animation thing with the story, not put it in the history of Somebody should have just
1: made... Is there there a Dream Theater comic book that I don't know about? I don't think so. Because somebody should have made this into a fucking comic book. This would make a fantastic graphic novel. Yes. Neil Gaiman should write it. Yes. And actually... The cover of this album looks very much like, like a Neil Gaiman. Like, an, uh, the cover like a of Neil mask. Gaiman. Yes, exactly. Mm, exactly. Yep, yep, yep. What's his name? Dan McKean did the artwork for that, I think. I don't remember. But the point is, but yeah, yep. it's very reminiscent of yeah, yeah. his work. I feel you. They embarked on a massive world tour in support of Metropolis that spanned over the course of an entire year. The last performance was a four hour show in New York City. Complete with a gospel choir and performers acting out the story on stage. All
0: right, hold up. That's cool as hell. Yeah. Like, I would 100% go see that, even if it's four fucking hours. You get an intermission. All right. <laughs> All right. I can stretch my legs. Yeah. I am literally that old where I do have to stretch my legs. Mm-hmm. I Guys. mean,
1: I welcomed it when we saw them.
0: That's true. You, you even got an were. intermission for that. Yeah. I got a <laughs> good two hour show.
1: I did a few toe touches and stretched
0: a little bit. That was nice. You don't want a blood clot.
1: (laughs) At our age. I mean, honestly. (laughs) It was released as a DVD, but it was recalled shortly after its release with the cover art as the culprit. Huh. The artwork depicted the band's early logo modeled after the burning heart of Christ. Like the Sacred Heart with the flames on
0: it. That's their first album, right? Yes. Does that? Yeah.
1: But the heart, well, images and words had it on there. Yeah, yeah. But the heart in this case was turned into an apple and the New York City skyline was in the background. The two towers directly over the flames of the heart.
0: Oh, no. And in
1: an unfortunate twist of events, the DVD was released on September 11th, 2001.
0: Stop. What? So that had to be changed real quick. Oh, no. Like, how fucked up is that? Oh, and like, because you know that they didn't. They didn't know. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Oh, God. Oh, my everything's cringing. Oh, yeah. So they recalled that real quick. Oh, I bet they did, though.
1: Mm -hmm. Oof-a-doof. Yikes on bikes. Uh Uh-huh. The band's next album, Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence, was another concept album. I like the name of it.
0: No, I know, Calm but it's just down. like after after the uh the the snafu with the nine eleven, <laughs> it's like six degrees of turbulence. It's like, yeah. are you talking about when they released their live DVD and they shouldn't have? Yeah.
1: It was also a double album. However, it was comprised of only six songs. The fucking crazy eyes you give me every time i mention the length of their songs is great yeah double album six songs what the fuck what the actual fuck oh but wait the entire second album is one 42 minute long song broken up into eight sections are you gonna flip a table you're just bach at this point or mozart (laughs) like what are you fucking doing being no, I mean, fucking awesome musicians is what they're doing. Like, yes,
0: okay. They're telling you a story with their music, Maggie. I know. I just... No, it's good.
1: You're right. I it mean, is good. Technically, it's separated into eight acts, eight different songs that are just all flow together.
0: Maybe I'm not into prog- as into prog metal as I thought I was. <laughs> you just haven't listened to it yet, either. That's true. I have not listened to this album. Yeah. Maybe because I saw it was only six songs, I was like, "I don't need to pop this." Oh, I this. don't need.
1: know. <laughs> is this need- an EP? I don't need to dedicate half of my day to listening to this. It's oh, fine. Okay, no, this is fine. Yeah. The lyrics in six of these sections describe someone with a different mental health issue, like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, dissociative identity disorder, etc., etc., which is kind of cool. All right, like, yeah. I mean, highlighting like, actually, mental illness.
0: Yeah, I mean the concept is is enough for me to be like, all right, I'm intrigued. I'm curious yeah. where this is going. Yeah.
1: The first album is a bit more personal, or I should say the first CD in the double CD, in the double album, Whatever. Side one. Side.
0: Disc one. Disc one. Disc
1: one. Disc one. Disc one is a bit more personal. <laughs> The first track, The Glass Prison, would be the first song written by Mike Portnoy in what would become known as the 12-Step Suite, a collection of five songs, one each featured on five consecutive albums. Does that make sense?
0: So So he would have one song on the next five albums? Yes. Okay. Yes.
1: But... If you listen to them together, they all flow together, even though they're on different albums.
0: Yeah. Fucking holy nerds. Conceptual nerds. (gasps) Conceptual nerds. (laughs) Fuck. Like,
1: ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. And yes, I am talking about those 12 steps. Yeah. Mike had finally hit rock bottom with his drinking, realizing how much... Was it the hamburger incident? (laughs) It, It was not the hamburger incident.
0: All right. That's I wouldn't imagine that's yeah. going to be what's going to make yeah. you stop drinking. Was, the
1: hamburger incident the was hamburger. not rock bottom.
0: <laughs> but I also could see that being rock bottom for a bunch of nerds and a prog rock band. Prog yeah. metal band.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, he hit rock bottom with his drinking, realizing how much he depended on it and cocaine to get through a tour. Okay. Yeah. No, you didn't talk about the coke, though. Well, the coke was like right at the end. Oh, Okay. He was like, once his roadie started like making lines for him on like the guitar cabinet or whatever behind the behind the stage oh while he was God. still on stage. Yeah. He, then he was like, mm,
0: "This is a bad idea." He just walked up to the lines. And was like, "Oh, I hit that. Oh, no! Oh, all right, yep. this is the rehab point." Yeah.
1: And to that an obsessive compulsive personality ready to explode the second something goes wrong and you have a molotov cocktail of bullshit. Yeah, that's fair. Soon enough Mike was going on stage wasted, which when you're playing technical music like dream theater is playing, you cannot no. be no. inebriated and play it right. Mm-mm. Granted, we have seen much worse alcohol and drug problems doing this podcast. <laughs> Mike's is kind of small beans comparatively. However, he realized he had a problem after an ill-fated show in Texas in early 2000, wherein he grabbed the mic and went off on an incoherent tangent. He took his last drink on his birthday, April 20th, 2000. Wow. Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence was again well-received and tours followed. This time, Dream Theater co-headlined with Queensryche and Open Fur Yes, two bands that were hugely influential back when they were
0: shaggy-haired college boys. Also, this is the most... Like, sense making tour I have ever heard right? of. Right? Yeah. Yeah. QueensRike? And Yes. And Yes. And Dream Theater. And Dream Theater. Yeah. yeah. I mean, granted, I hope they you were, have
1: six hours. QueensRike and Yes were two separate tours. They uh, co headlined with QueensRike and opened for Yes on two separate tours. Still. Still.
0: I hope you have six hours. <laughs>
1: Their friendship with Queensryche soured during these shows, however. Aww. Queensryche felt Dream Theater would be should be opening for them, despite the fact that Dream Theater blew them out of the water every night. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Come on. You have like one song that everybody actually knows, Queensryche. Yeah.
1: Queensryche singer Jeff Tate fueled the flames in 2006 when he appeared on a radio show where he openly complained about Mike Portnoy to the DJ and guest Chris Jericho. Oh, who, Chris who happened to be good friends with the drummer? This devolved into Mike blasting Tate online in a flurry of insults when the internet was just a babe, just a babe, which seems to be one of Mike's favorite pastimes. Oh, still, I I think so. Oh, does he have a Twitter? Oh, he's got all the things. But he used to be one of those like internet forum trolls that would respond to f- people that were complaining about dream theater and pretend to
0: not be the guy from dream theater
1: no he would just call him out and call him assholes oh okay and like he would post shit on his blog all the time like i'm fucking sick of people blessing dream theater because of what we're doing and seeing prog rock is just assholes showing off and blah 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 <laughs> i'm just like but can you calm down? Yeah, like, like calm you're, down. You're not doing yourself a favor doing this. No,
0: not at all. It doesn't make you look good. It's not the best.
1: But it was also around this time that the band started questioning their future with James LaCheese. No,
0: his not vo- James the Cheese. Not
1: James the Cheese. His voice still wasn't back to his pre-food poisoning days. Those high notes were sounding pretty screechy. They oh. were also concerned with his... Sa- with sounding dated, and James's singing style was the reason.
0: Oh, shit. Yeah, it's kind of shitty. Yeah. It's not his fault. I mean, like, you get older, your voice changes. But in
1: this case, he just didn't get the proper help he needed after his bout with the food
0: poisoning i guess but then couldn't he have just gone to a vocal coach now he could
1: have but he didn't for for years
0: you should have bro yeah actually you should always if you're going to be a professional fucking singer and go on tour have a vocal cord coach Coach. and also
1: have a vocal cord that helps (laughs) fair point After a long sit-down with James, who took the concerns very well, he decided to get vocal lessons. Oh, see? There you go. He also started showing up for the writing process, something he never really involved himself in before.
0: Because, like, why would you, though, if you don't have to?
1: I mean, every once in a while, he would make a contribution, but he never really, like, he didn't stay there for the whole time while they recorded. Now they were like, no, you need to be here the whole time.
0: Okay, but that's kind of nice. Fair enough.
1: You're included. Their next album, Train of Thought, however, didn't utilize any of their talents as much as it should have. <laughs> Taking a cue from Metallica, the band went in a darker, more straight metal direction. And they hired Bob Rock. This album wasn't as nuanced as their previous efforts. In short, this was their St. Anger. Oh, no. It wasn't as bad as St. Anger. Nothing. But
0: nothing. Not nothing, but... Very little is worse than St. Anger, Truth. But But nothing else could bring us some kind of monster.
1: True. And for that, I am truly thankful. Right? Truly,
0: truly thankful. With every cloud, there comes a rainbow. (laughs) (laughs) Some kind of monster is St. Anger's rainbow.
1: Yeah. Well, you know. Life is a limp dick with an occasional blowjob. Yeah. Yeah. Life is a limp dick, dick with, with an occasional, occasional blowjob. Blow it really is. And someday was... someday somebody's going to throw me a Danish pastry birthday. It's going to be this year. This year's the year I get my Danish pastry 36 blo- is birthday. a Danish
0: pastry anniversary. It is. It's got to be.
1: <laughs> they released two studio albums in the mid-2000s, Octavarium and Systemic Chaos, Both were well received, and Systemic Chaos received an extra push from their new label, Roadrunner Records. I'm not going to get deep into these albums because we are already going way too long, much like Dream Theater themselves. Our minutes are ticking
0: by. Everybody's starting to be like, "Mm, but how much longer? Yeah. I will say this Octavarium is a really rad fucking name, though. Yeah. It sounds like you should be in this kind of gladiator style stadium and like just surrounded by organ pipes and stringed instruments and just like this epic noise should be coming at you. Yeah, is the, is the album anything like that? No. <laughs> <laughs> I well, mean it's good. I'm sure it's grand. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you, Dream Theater. Yeah.
1: I'm sure that's what they had in their heads when they were making it. That exact image. Bring him to the
0: Octavarium. <laughs> <laughs> Is this like the Thunderdome? Yes, but it's, it's, or, it's Dream the pipe... Theater Thunderdome. It's Dream Theater Thunderdome, and they they all they all have their old eight, 1985 haircuts. Oh my god, the feathered look! And they all are playing pipe organs, and just dressed in leather jackets with no shirts underneath or puffy shirts. Puffy puffy shirts yeah, puffy but no shirts. pants no so shirt it. <laughs> no fucking
1: pants <laughs> shirt cocking <laughs> it with knee-high boots on all leather no socks this
0: octaverium got real weird but still here for it but this makes sense this totally checks for dream theater guys yeah totally here for it <laughs> Shirt cocking it. Shirt cocking it in the Octavarium. But they're shirt cocking it with no shirts on. Just like no, they chicken. have the puffy shirts, but no pants All right. on. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but one of them has to have forgotten their
1: puffy shirt. All right. And one of them just... is just in
0: the jacket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably, um, it's probably John. Which one? Exactly.
1: <laughs> it's Petrucci. Petrucci is the one that did it. <laughs> When the boys went back into the studio in October 2008 to record their follow-up, they didn't have much of a plan in place like they did before. There was no preconceived storyline or solid direction to go in, and they took a more organic approach to songwriting. And in James's case, he went back to complete to a completely hands-off approach.
0: Eh, all right, I mean, like, and they were know, like, all right, that's fine. Sometimes you just gotta go back to what worked before and say, well, we've been doing this and this is great, but we don't have another idea, so. Right. Let's just, like, rewind the tapes a bit. This new approach
1: to writing worked, and in 2009, Black Clouds and Silver Linings was released to all-around acclaim. It went straight to the top of the Billboard Internet and Rock Albums charts, and they also went out on a hugely successful tour in support of Iron Maiden. Hell,
0: they did it. They did it. You nailed it. They fucking did it. Yeah. This is all they've ever wanted. Yeah. They've always just wanted booze, Boos. And they got them. They got booze, booze. Yeah, but did he sing a song with them? Because he should have. I'm sure at some point in their
1: career, Bruce Bruce sang many songs with them. Ugh. But yeah, they were at the top of their game at this point. That's the fucking top, man. Yeah. Which is why it was such a huge surprise when, on an August day in 2010, Mike Portnoy announced to his bandmates that he wanted to put the band on an indefinite hiatus. Huh. Mike had been touring with Avenged Sevenfold. (laughs) what your insane face has been on point like so many times today why am I not
0: recording this but also what avenged fucking sevenfold I'm sorry I'm sorry why I'm sorry but why you're in dream fucking theater for better or worse you are the more talented the longer standing, he is the, the more nucleus. well put together. He is
1: the nucleus of this outfit.
0: And you're like, yeah, this is nice and all, but I really want to go hang out with this herpes riddled skank right now. <laughs> Known as Avenged Sevenfold.
1: This isn't emotional cheating. This is just fucking the stripper at your friend's bachelor oh, party.
0: This is his midlife crisis. Yeah. yeah. Oh, this is his. He is corvette. the Charlie
1: Dominici. At this point.
0: Yeah. Oh, sweetie. What are you doing? I mean,
1: they must have befriended Avenged Sevenfold at some point, but i they asked him to fill in as their drummer because their drummer died while producing their newest album at the time. And that is
0: sad and unfortunate. That is sad and, and unfortunate, but also you
1: know. it's still Avenged Sevenfold.
0: Like, you're not... You're right. It's not even emotional cheating. It's asking your wife... But, like, actually really demanding to your wife, like, I will leave you unless you let me have an open relationship with this herpes riddled skank. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, like, the wife is like, but we already have three kids. One's in college. Like, I have a very shitty basic job because I've had to, like, put my life on hold a bunch of times to have kids and to get your shit together. And then he's just like, Well, it's but either, nah, I'm just I mean, going to fuck, fuck this.
1: I'm just going to fuck this herpes ridden skank.
0: Yeah. And like you're basically like, I guess this is my life now. I guess is basically what this situation is. Yeah,
1: and you're basically like, okay, I guess I'll wait for you then. Have fun.
0: So Dream Theater is the poor wife. Yeah. Of this situation. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Right. But like, Avenged Sevenfold. What? <laughs> I'm. <laughs> Guys. Don't even try. No. Don't even no. try. Don't even come for us on this. Because you know I want you're wrong. To, I
1: want to hear no defenses for fucking Avenged Sevenfold. It will be
0: immediately and deleted.
1: I hope that this is the last time we speak about Avenged Sevenfold on this podcast.
0: If we have to talk about them again. It's not going to be a good day. We're going to have to have a, like a real hard drink after that. Ooh. Oof, we're going to go
1: to the hard shit after that. Touring with Avenged Sevenfold seemed to have given Mike a new perspective. Sorry,
0: Sorry, you said Avenged Sevenfold again. I had to laugh. Now it's kind of funny.
1: Tensions were high within his own band and had been deteriorating for a while and burnout from Dream Theater's demanding writing and recording touring schedule made Mike realize that an extended break was needed in order for him to have renewed enthusiasm. Yeah,
0: you know what? Hanging out with Avenged Sevenfold would be a break, wouldn't it? Because they're fucking pedantic.
1: And they wear too many belts. Like, why do you wear that many belts?
0: More like Avenged Seven belt, am I right? (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, fuck, man. All
1: right, sorry. Keep going. Yeah. Mike made no indication that he was unhappy in Dream Theater, so this all seems so weird to them. They also didn't like that Mike didn't know exactly when Dream Theater would reconvene. It could be three, five, ten years for all they knew.
0: That's some bullshit.
1: Yeah. They basically felt betrayed by Mike Portnoy. Oh, yeah. I bet. Here they were at the top of their careers, and this guy wants to take a break. A break which could potentially undo everything they tirelessly spent the last 25 years building. Yep. But I also kind of understand where Mike was coming from. It was 25 years of non-stop writing, touring, writing, touring. Woof. These guys didn't take breaks. If they did take a break, it was maybe for like a month, and that was it. In 25 years. That is
0: really harsh.
1: And 2010 was very different from 1995. A band could take 3 or 4 years to release a new album and it's fine. Yeah, that's true.
0: But it's that's, that's valid.
1: But also at on the other other hand is <laughs> You know, these guys were at a point where, yeah, they had a pretty big fan base, but they couldn't really afford to take five years off. If they took five years off, they weren't
0: making money for five years. Yeah. And I don't think they're big enough to be able to just support right. themselves on five years off. They
1: were at a point where they were they they were making money and they were doing well, but only because they were constantly writing or touring. Mm. But Mike left Dream Theater officially on October in October 2010. He continued playing with Avenged Sevenfold through 2010, but they never invited him to become a full-time member. (gasps) What? Meanwhile, the remaining members of Dream Theater started looking for a new drummer. Good. As they should. Fuck you, Mike. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of what a lot of his
0: fans said too, but But also... (sighs) Yes, okay, here's the thing. If he wanted to come out and be like, guys, can we just take a year off and like, or even two years off and like talk to everybody about it? And I was just like, guys, I'm kind of really over this. I really want to go hang yeah. out with Avenge Sevenfold. It was like,
1: he went to them and, and wasn't even like, okay, let's take exactly three years off and then we will reconvene. We will start writing. We will write another album and do all this stuff. But they were like, well, how long do you think you want to take a break for? And he was just like, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, well, if you can't, like, have a definite. I don't know. Timeline. I, just need,
0: I just need my freedom, man. Like, go fuck yourself. It's just,
1: like, I just really want to go hang with my
0: friends. I just, like, I like this younger, fresher, hotter, herpes riddled band, <laughs> Avenge Seven Belts. God.
1: They, like, they have this really cool, like, bat and skull, like, oh, logo. that's
0: right. It's, like, really. That's they're just right. so,
1: like,. In the now, you know? <laughs> they're so on, t- on top of all the, the trends and shit. Yeah.
0: Well, you know who doesn't have a beer for them? their band? Avenged Sevenfold. They might not
1: have a beer, but they could very well have some kind of cheap Mr. Boston type whiskey.
0: Probably do. Probably. Probably. Anyway. Tequila. Oh. I bet it's tequila. Oh, they're those kind of guys. Yeah, they are. Barf. Barf.
1: I'm going to blow out a vocal cord dry heaving tonight. Yep. Thanks, Avenged Sevenfold. (laughs) After auditioning a handful of world-class drummers, they offered the job to Mike Mangini, an East Coast guy also with a connection to Berklee College of Music. Though he didn't attend, he was a professor there. Oh, interesting. Yeah. He had the talent, the resume, and the attitude to fit right in.
0: And his name was Mike, so they didn't have to, like, change anything. Yeah.
1: Seriously, two Mikes, two Johns, two Kevins. Stop it. And they had a Derek in their band, and they had, uh, I believe, a, it was either a manager or, like, their contact at East West Records, also named Derek.
0: All right. You guys really like your twosies. Yeah. All Twinsies.
1: Right. Twinsies. Since Mike Mangini joined the band, they have released four more studio albums. Mm. Fans often lament Mike Portnoy's departure, saying the music just isn't the same. But,
0: like, how many albums has Mike, Mike released with uh, Avenged Sevenfold? Well, none. Mm. But he's done
1: a bunch of other shit. Mm. Still he's, judging you. He's doing fine, I
0: guess. I'm judging him. I don't know. Judging? I him. really don't know what he's doing. He has herpes now.
1: <laughs> just from breathing the same... V- it's like shitty van air that Avenged Sevenfold. They don't
0: have a beer van.
1: No, they don't.
0: Yeah. You chose wrong.
1: If they do, it's filled with like fucking Miller Lite. Buzz Limes. Oh, burritas and shit. Beer,
0: great burritas. <laughs> and like wine slushies. Oh, and that's when I break a vocal cord to try heaving. <laughs> We've come full circle, ladies and gentlemen.
1: But yeah, I will give them that. The music isn't the same. But there is a bit of something that's missing from their sound these days. But you can't deny that it isn't still good. It's still dream theater. And there's no denying that these guys are living fucking legends who helped give progressive metal a legitimacy that is more than well-deserved.
0: Yeah. I mean, you could probably make the argument like you probably wouldn't have Tool without dream theater, right?
1: You would still have Tool without Dream Theater. Interesting, especially because Dream Theater was East Coast, Tool was West Coast. Oh,
0: we're getting into them fights now. I think
1: Tool was West
0: Coast anyway. Oh no, now I'm real curious. And also, but you know what? Rockers aren't nearly as interesting as rappers. They're not yeah. going to really beef like and that. Tool started around the same time
1: that Dream Theater did. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. I yeah, just they did. How old Tool is?
0: But yeah, I mean, like. You're right. Dream Theater, you cannot deny how fucking talented they are and how much hard work and dedication they put into things. Yeah. And they don't half ass anything. And I'm I'm with
1: Portnoy on the fact that he gets really uptight about people making fun of progressive lo- of progressive rock. Yeah. Because, you know, people are like, "Oh, they just want to get all the notes in there and play all the notes they can so they can show off." No, there is actual technical ability that goes along with it. Well,
0: I would also make the argument, so what if they want to show off? Yeah. They if, can do it. If they want to if they can do that shit,
1: let them show off.
0: Like, because I feel like there's a difference between showing off and using the techniques and elements that are at your ready. And just that Dream Theater is one of those bands that has... The absolutely wide skill set to be able to do those types of things. And it adds to their music. I don't think it takes away and I don't think it makes them look like show offs.
1: Yeah. And the kind of music they play demands that kind of perplexity. No, it does, though. So why would you bother playing this kind of music if you're not going to have complicated time signatures and crazy solos and bullshit like that. And what's wrong with it? There's
0: nothing wrong with it. I don't really understand why people get really uppity about progressive. Like, uh, progressive. Like, do you not like something with, like, depth and color and interest in it? It's because progressive rock and
1: progressive metal is nerd rock. Yeah, it is. And everybody wants to pick on nerds. Stop picking on nerds. But guess what? The nerds are fucking talented and they're awesome. And they get their dick wet all the time. Like,
0: I'm sorry they're not singing about, like you know, Marvel Comics and Star Wars guys, because that's like the only nerd shit that's okay. Comic books and Star Wars is fine. Anything else like, are you fucking nerds? Like, oh, I'm sorry. Are you a talented musician who could show off a little bit? Nerd. Like, really? Just go play football. Yeah. I I don't know what to tell you, but yeah, I mean, let them have their due. I think they've earned it. They've more than earned it, especially considering how hard they work. And also, Petrucci still has really nice hair
1: and a really awesome beard. And James LeBrie can kick your fucking ass, seriously. Yo, they
0: are. They are. What are they? Fifty something now? In their fifties, early fifties. Yeah. yeah, like they're they're rocking it. Like they're they're not looking bad. I mean, granted.
1: <laughs> so I get the impression that James LeBrie, like, scrolls through his Facebook and sees those Wish app ads and buys (laughs) and buys all of the pants that they advertise on
0: them. Well, that one time they had a shirt pocket, He was kind of (laughs) scarred.
1: He's like, I'm going to buy all the pants that look like 10 different pairs of pants put together and wear all of them. Yes. Yeah. So that's what he does now. That's fair. But yeah. Petrucci can still get it.
0: You know what? And that's really what matters.
1: That's what matters, man.
0: Moral of the story. He can still get it. Moral
1: of the story is, nerds can still get it.
0: Yeah. So be a nerd. There you go. Thank you guys so much for listening (laughs) to our wonderful story of nerd. I mean, nightmare cinema. I mean... (laughs) Dream theater. I mean,
1: Rancid Nipple. <laughs> oh, no. always this, this is all wrong.
0: wrong. Avenged Sevenfold. <laughs> no! <laughs> no! Oh my god.
1: But and then you. they wake from the night, in, from the past life regression hypnosis, and realize
0: oh. that it's all Avenged Sevenfold. No! And then they get murdered. Guys. We just thought of the new uh story Concept li- album, story album, li- Conceptual <laughs> album. Storylines. <laughs>
1: hey dream theater theater. we have your new conceptual
0: album you're welcome you don't have to pay us but like at least like give us some cred we'll take it yeah we'll take it man (laughs) thank you for listening to this it wasn't you know it wasn't nearly as long as i thought it would be i thought it'd be like three hours longer
1: yeah we got through it pretty quick we,
0: we got through it you really you really trucked through it i'm proud of you Thanks. As you should all be proud. It's too. only because
1: I didn't talk about like half of their discography, and I apologize for that. But I can't. Well, at the same time,
0: just go listen to it. Yeah, you can figure it out. Yeah, I mean they're 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 pretty. I, I mean I don't know. I grant I only listened through one conceptual album, but I I got I think half the gist. I didn't get the regressed memories, but whatever, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, they're interesting and they're a good band. You should totally give them their due. Give them a listen. And yeah, was I keep it's not Metamorphosis. It's Metropolis. Metropolis. Metropolis Part 2 is definitely totally worth a listen. Absolutely. So I would agree with you on that. And yeah, and also keep listening to us, your favorite podcast, Yeah. every week because we're great. And if you don't listen to us, well, what are we going to do then? That's your own fault. That is your own fault. Yes, definitely. You guys want to keep following us and listen to all the episodes, you can go ahead and visit us on our website. It is www.rockcandypodcast.com, and it's your one-stop shop for our social medias. we got Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We post stories and pictures and all that jazz, little conversations, whatnots, and uh, yeah, um, email us if you want, if you got any comments or questions or post on episodes that's something else you can do and follow our network the pantheon podcast network got tons of fantastic really really good shoes and yeah it's music podcast do it music there's not stuff. enough of us like also- honestly not enough podcasts talk about music and the stories behind it yeah. which is interesting and weird So you guys listen to a very unique podcast. Yeah. You guys are listening to a lot of unique podcasts when you jump onto Pantheon. And uh, keep supporting us because the more you support them, the more you support us, the more really good, good stories you get.
1: Yeah, You can also support us by becoming a patron. You can go to the Patreon website, which is patreon.com slash rockcandypodcast. You can give us some sweet, sweet cash. And uh, make it rain all over on us, and we will give you stuff back.
0: Yeah. Or hire us for your parties. (laughs) But not those parties. Not that kind of party. Just regular parties. Yeah, we will come to your regular party, though.
1: (laughs) Also, I forgot to mention that today I was looking through our Instagram and noticed that the... Okay, so we just went and saw King Diamond last
0: weekend, and it was fucking amazing. Oh, King Diamond, guys. If you didn't listen to our episode, first of all, dude's in his 60s.
1: Yeah. He had triple bypass. Why, triple. No, he had triple oh, bypass triple, surgery. And came back better than fucking ever. He sounds amazing. I can't, I can't believe the how good The show he was. was so amazing. It was fantastic. But I was scrolling through our Instagram today and noticed that the girl who plays the grandma liked some of our <gasps> posts on <Grandma>! King's
0: On... <laughs> so grandma liked our stuff. <laughs> grandma liked our stuff. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah grandma likes our stuff so you guys should like our stuff visit us on the social meds grandma approved we're grandma approved we are though <laughs> yeah 100 percent. and all right so i mean come on in next week for another crazy wild tale we're still keeping it oh in it's the gonna rock. be a
1: good one i'm so excited
0: are... <laughs>
1: i really wanted to do this one myself but i'm kind of glad i'm not doing it so that I can interject and be like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. I know. God. No, you
0: have, you'll have, you have good stories to interject with, I think. Yeah. So come in next week. We hope we hyped it enough because I think it's going to be. A, it's fun so to research excited. so far. I'm so excited. So come in next week for more tales from the world of music. But until then, party on, Ashley. Party on, Maggie. And party on, you crazy kids out there. Bye. Bye.